From Impact Alpha, this is your Impact Briefing for Friday, June 5th. I'm Monique Aiken, today's guest host. Today on the briefing, we're going to do things a little bit differently and go a bit longer than usual. In a few minutes, I'll be joined by some special guests to reflect on the events of the last week, triggered by the extrajudicial killing of George Floyd. Our aim is to share with listeners what this moment is like for us as Black men and women in finance and impact investing. And to begin to ideate on solutions, ways to take action and mobilize, given the energy and attention around criminal justice reform and racial justice right now. How can we leverage the current attention on systemic racial injustice to usher in a new, more equitable normal? Before we are joined by the folks for the roundtable, a few headlines. In its coverage this week, Impact Alpha looked at small funds like Runway Project and Boston Impact Initiative that are modeling a new financial infrastructure for supporting Black and Brown entrepreneurs, and an eclectic set of investors that are changing the narrative. If racism is a systemic risk, investing in racial equity and justice is a systemic opportunity. Darren Dodson at Illumin Capital, Rodney Foxworth at Common Future, and Cynthia Muller at Kellogg Foundation are among the investors driving capital to strategies that fight bias back entrepreneurs and fund managers of color, and share the stories from underrepresented voices through investments in Blavity and Macro. In other news, community development finance institutions are getting a bigger role in COVID relief. More than two months into the Paycheck Protection Program, community development finance institutions received a $10 billion carve-out to make loans to small businesses in underserved communities. And finally, will fossil fuel profits collapse? A report from Carbon Tracker says that fossil fuel companies may be overestimating future profits by more than $100 trillion. Falling demand for oil and cheaper renewables could have an enormous impact, including on investors holding more than $26 trillion in equity and debt linked to fossil fuels. So now to introduce our roundtable guests for today. We're joined by Angela Matheny, Director of Investment, Staff, and Diverse Manager Equity at Colonial Consulting. Hello, welcome, Angela. I'm sure you'll you'll tell us a little bit more about what that means in a few seconds. And we also have with us here today, Don Ray Vaughn, founder of Castleberry & Company. Greetings, welcome. Thank you for having me. And finally, Dimitrik Duckett, Managing Director, Capital for the New Majority at Living Cities. Great to be here with you, Monique. So thank you so much for joining us for this important conversation this week. Um, Angela, if you don't mind sharing just a little bit more about who you are, where you're from, just give us a really quick high-level overview of your work so that um, we know who we're talking to, at least our listeners know. I already know. Thank you. I um, started out at Colonial Consulting as head of diverse manager equity, which means that I source women and people of color and asset management so that we could create a pipeline because we all know about the challenging issue of that community getting access to capital. I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York, born and raised. And um, I ended up raising my two children, my son who's 23, who I'm very worried about in uh, these current times, Mm -hmm. and my daughter who's 17. Um, So we're now in Queens, New York. Um, Mm -hmm. And we've been here probably 18, 19 years. Oh, I was born in Queens. We'll talk more about that later. Donray, would you like to introduce yourself a little bit further? Second, and then Dimitri will go to you. All right, thank you for having me. I am Donray Vaughn. I am a Atlantan that's been in Los Angeles for the past 
23 years pursuing a career in the entertainment business. Uh, during that time, I did some innovative things and managed some successful songwriters and producers, worked with everyone from Cody Chestnut to The Roots. Uh, I did one of the first ringtone deals in history, which showed me the coming technology boom into entertainment. Um, that led me to build a consulting company, and that consultant company is how I got into the wealth space, because I met a musician whose father was a multi-billionaire. As a person of color, that adjacency to multiple family offices uh, helped me understand what the real chasm was, just the difference between access and understanding and generational wealth. And um, I use that knowledge now to uh, move back to Atlanta, where I am right now, to purchase and redevelop the mall I grew up in, which is the opportunity of a lifetime, which is adjacent to Morehouse and Spelman, and we're turning it into an innovation center. We have some large partners and the city of Atlanta uh, as our partner. And uh, my general focus on a day-to-day -day basis is helping athletes and uh, family offices make alternative investments. And my overall focus and my consistent thread is uh, financial access for minorities. Amen to that. And that's a great segue into the work of Dimitrik at Living Cities. You want to share a little bit more about yourself too? Yes, of course. Always a pleasure. Um, I'm Dimitrik Duckett. I'm the Managing Director of Capital for the New Majority of Living Cities. Uh, and that's my formal statement when normally I'm on, you know, podcasts and interviews and things like that. But People who know me from birth know me as Mary's son. I grew up, <laughs> regardless of all my titles, I grew up in Greenville, South Carolina. I live in New York City some 20 years now. I've been out of the South for 30. I often say I'm a simple, naive country boy, and my friends always ask which country, because professionally, I've mostly been a, um, a global financier. Uh, I was trying to move into dot-com when it blew up back in 2000. Then 9-11 happened when I was playing with wealth management. And it brought me back to my core roots from the 60s and 70s with my parents and being connected to community. So I wanted to bring my skills, resources, and passion into places and spaces that really mattered to me on a level beyond just the direct monetary compensation. And so that's why I'm at Living Cities after all this time. And there are a few other chapters in between, but that's the basic story. Well, thank you. Thank you for all for being here and for being, to, being willing to share your stories today. So I think we'll just begin a little bit with a conversation on what has the last week or so meant to you? What have you experienced? Um, obviously, this pandemic is its own special time in our history as a humanity, um, and it's brought us all closer to death right now, literally and figuratively and metaphorically, and our own mortality is so close to us at this point, um, in addition to specifically related to the murder of George Floyd on May 25th. Uh, I heard yesterday Reverend Dr. Barber from the Poor People's Campaign say death can be a catalyzer. And in so many ways, often someone is martyred and things change, movements build, uprisings happen as a result of that. And these protests this last week or so are evidence of this truth. Um, how has watching what's unfolded affected you? Um, Dimitri, maybe we'll go back to you um, with your global perspective, but a child of the South and um, the various ways that, that maybe has informed how you feel. Yeah, thank you. It is, um, 
it's a bizarre situation to be in. I have a 20-year-old son, so I have my own young black male who thinks the world is his oyster and his dad pays for everything, um, who's out there, and I just don't know what to do. We're, we're binational families, so he's in college now, like overseas and all of that, and I've always debated on like where to where he would be best off because I am the globalist. I'm like having that black American, you know, sort of ticket really means something in a lot of places, especially if you come from at least middle income families. And yet I'm so happy that I've not kept him here because I've worried about his well-being, as all parents do with their kids. And yet now I see that I've I've been relieved of a certain element of the American tragedy on top of the American dream, right? We have the American nightmares that show up for us in moments like what we saw on screen. Um, and I've just not been able to watch the entire thing. I have friends who've called and all of that. And I tell them, remember, I work at Living Cities with a racial equity lens. I push this data every day. I am paid to be black traumatized for 10 to 12 hours a day. So when I get off, I have to limit and select how I engage. So I didn't need to see all eight minutes and 46 seconds to know what happened. I funded work in Minneapolis across the board. I know both mayors, like all of that, because I knew all those data points. So I've been writing checks for a long time in those in those regions. And I was just like, what the hell? Like, I, I, I'm left speechless. And I've been in tears most mornings uh, just prepping for work for at least the past week. Thank you for your honesty. I mean, the emotions are raw for us all, I think. Um, I have not watched it either. I don't watch such things. This is not the first this year. Um, this I I personally cannot, I don't want to watch people being murdered. I, I can't take that. I don't really watch that in movies and in, for entertainment. So I certainly cannot, um, at least me personally. Donray, um, maybe you can go next. Yes. I think history will show that the pandemic and the social unrest were of different origins, but happened in divine sequencing. We had a global event that brought humanity to your question. So I think the doctor says, Dr. Barber says, um, death can be a catalyzer. I'd argue that death became the equalizer mm. and it made everyone vulnerable. So right at the time where we had this universal vulnerability, we then heard the, saw Ahmaud Arbery get shot. Mm -hmm. We heard about Breonna Taylor. And then we got the third reminder as if we needed one of George Floyd calling out for his mother. Yeah. And as I saw a post recently that says, everyone has a mother. Mm -hmm. And everyone understood that call, and every mother understood that call. So I believe that um, right now we're dealing with a scenario where humanity is the thread, and humanity wasn't brought on by the race, social unrest, the unjust killing of those and multiple others. Humanity was brought to the table by COVID and the vulnerability, and everyone from Tom Hanks to the prime minister to poor people getting this disease, this virus. So how that affected me, um, I, I'm a person that try not to get too high and try not to get too low. When COVID first started, I was in the midst of 
my large opportunity in Atlanta. And I said to myself, be responsive. Don't try to be proactive. So that was really the only advice I gave myself, which was as a doer and an entrepreneur and a person who, you know, buying the mall they grew up in, um, all I could tell myself was, don't try to act, be comfortable reacting. So that's the entrepreneurial advice I gave myself, because what could I do in that moment? What I'm now doing in the moment of understanding and watching what's happening with um, the murders and the unrest, as I have a nephew, I don't have kids, but I have a large family, is to explain to them some things that they may not understand on TV. So I ask them to ask me questions. What are you seeing on TV that you don't understand? What are you reading that you don't understand? I'm going on their social media, seeing what they're posting. I'm being uncle nosy to try to get it, to try to get some insight on what they're living. And I think what I'm now understanding is that they don't understand why this happened. They're quick to want to, um, be frustrated, and they have a sense of what history is like. Um, But I do believe that this is the perfect time for universal change. Thank you. Angela, as a fellow Black mother of sons, mine is only 13 months old, so he's still cute to everybody. He's very, very cute to me. But um, I'd like to hear your perspective. Certainly, it's we're watching from a different vantage point as mothers, but as Black women, and you know, you've been in finance for a long time, and we've shared some thoughts about long careers in finance and how race shows up in that, and we've seen the hashtags. Um, maybe we'll give you a chance to tell us how this has made you feel and how it's affected you and your family. Um, I, I was I was struggling. Um, unfortunately, because I grew up in community housing in a very black neighborhood where culture means everything. And I've seen the best of people, the worst of people. So this wasn't so explicit to me, unfortunately. And I'm also worried that I'm becoming a little bit desensitized um, to the loss of loved ones. I had six uncles and I only have um, one left. Um, My father was murdered when he was 27. So was my brother. In 2006, he was murdered when he was 27. And so I I sat finally in the chair in my bedroom on Saturday and I finally broke down and I cried. And then I cried again today um, during the funeral and got my hallelujah moment on um, during Rev's uh, sermon because he was speaking the truth. He was speaking the truth in terms of uncovering and um, all of disparities that, you know, we had seen for so many years. And there's this wonderful saying that we love to say in the Black community, you know, we're just sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I am finally sick and tired. So I had to ask myself, how do I protect my children? I'm with that mayor in Atlanta. She said, you know, she called her son and she's like, where are you? And we all know she didn't say it like that. But that would have been the call that I made. I called my nephews. I have a 23-year-old son. um, So I knew where he was and and where he is on this issue. He's going to watch from afar, but he did want to get his protests on. But I have some nephews who are out there um, and they want to march and they want to fight. And I was thinking, all right, I got my bail money ready for everybody. Um, But I needed to know who I need to get it ready for and where is everybody. 
Um, so, you know, my heart is torn and I, I, I was just looking for my superpower because I sit in a place in finance where I can make a difference. We're trying to get access to capital to women and diverse asset managers every day. And we're hoping that we're going to equal the playing field. Um, the work that I do is very important because equity in my title means that everyone gets a fair shot. And where I started in this was um, getting all the statistics as I build my pipeline of managers, I wanna see who's getting access. Black people at the bottom of the totem pole. Then you mm -hmm. have our Hispanic mm -hmm. community. Then we look at Asians, they fare pretty well. Then we have the, um, the white women, which um, well, and um, this may be unfair, um, but I'm just gonna say it, you know, if we can assume that they're married to a white man, their household is okay. Um, and so are we really equaling the playing field when we give white women just as much access to capital when I look at my pipeline? Uh, but what I started turning to when I'm still um, sourcing these funds who are led by white women, God bless them in the work that they do, but I need to go to a granular level to see who's in the portfolio. Are you giving access to capital to people of color and women of color? And mm -hmm. so we started doing that work and we started having asset managers complete surveys. And one of the, the, the things that we're looking at is we, we wanna know who has equity, who has an equity stake in terms of the ownerships of the firms that we're looking at, because those are going to be the key decision makers and who decides what gets into the portfolio. And that's how we are going to um, create economic opportunity for the managers in that pipeline. Now we don't only look at diverse asset managers, but we noticed that um, we were woefully and inadequately um, allocating capital to that group. And so I was hired to focus on that. And I'm, I'm happy to say that of the 38 billion that we manage so far 4 billion, and we've got a lot more work to do, uh, but 4 billion is allocated across five asset classes to women and diverse asset managers. That's awesome. And we're so glad that you're there. Me too, because it's really important also. One other point I want to make is that my team needs to be diverse because we need to understand and appreciate Absolutely. the opportunities, the innovation, and the creative opportunities that we're seeing from people who look like me, who sit across the table from me. Angela, you remind me of something. In our work at Living Cities, one of the things that I've pushed us to do is actually say white women and people of color because in so many programs across the country that are intended to provide equitable access, you can name all kinds of titles. We'll hear things like MWBE. And what I remind my team of is that the M is gender neutral. Mm -hmm. And so the W only stands for white women. And I've okay. spoken on this in some places and then I laugh and remind people, some of my best friends are white women. So it's not <laughs> like I got something against them. <laughs> but, it, but, language, Welcome, but, but language matters and it is obfuscating because as if the people of color does not include women too. That's yeah, right. people say, let's call a spade a spade. I'm saying, let's call a white woman a white woman so we know exactly what we're talking about. Don't mean they got to be bad, right? right? That's not necessarily the problem, but let's do the math. And so in some of our research, uh, we've looked at some programs, some access programs in a number of different places through some of our procurement cohorts and other things. And what happens is when people blend those numbers, they're actually obscuring the fact that the lion's share of the opportunity ends up going to white women in those programs. So the overall participation in capital access and other things may look like a wonderful 
area of progress. But when you actually disaggregate that data, you start to see that there's a little bit more to understand. And I just feel like what we're dealing with in society right now on all of these levels, the data around COVID and who's impacted, the data around who's being murdered and who's not, the data around who's being stopped for damn wearing a mask or not in New York City, all goes to disaggregating that data and understanding that there is a really problematic racial issue that we just always try to bury as a, as a culture. And I'm just not here for it anymore. Well, I appreciate that. And I think we all share that sentiment. We have seen promising things coming out of some corporations. Um, you know, there are people who have been authentically in the work for a little while and there's who are, uh, I guess, hashtag activists um, who want to say something, but it may or not be meaningful. But I think, you know, I'd love to hear your own perspectives on this. This is a unique moment. It is different this time in some ways. Um, some are saying that this is the largest civil rights movement in history, given the number of people in protests across all 50 states, plus the number of countries who've stood in solidarity around the world to this particular challenge and related to lifting up Black lives and, and honoring the fact that Black lives do matter. What are you all, what's your take on it and how, and particularly in connecting it to impact investing in some ways, what can we do to harness this? Um, so I think we are all seeing that we are making clear statements. What is existing is not okay. And I always say we have to go hard in the opposite direction in order to get the balance because the system was inherently set up patriarchally with the colonizers at the top. And, you know, not much has changed in 200 years. The documents that were founded on this country were founded to benefit certain people. Um, that is a social contract, as stated by Dr. Bob Ross at um, Mission Investors Exchange virtual conference the other day. I think it was an apt statement. Um, so how do we get a new social contract going? Uh, Dr. Darren Walker from Ford also said we need a social contract. Um, what is that, though? What is that social contract? President Obama yesterday in his speech said, we need to make the status quo uncomfortable. Well, it's been uncomfortable for many of us for quite some time. I think the unstated sentence is who is it comfortable for? And what do we do to upend that in some ways? Um, love to hear your thoughts on that. And maybe Don Ray will go to you first. Well, as I said earlier, I think that the pandemic put us on a universal mindset. Uh, that's why I think you see the 18 countries uh, also protesting on something that happened on American soil. I think where we go from now should be a couple of ways. I think now you we have the unfortunate opportunity of momentum. We I don't want to say that those people die, but there's nothing that we can do about their deaths. There's only things that we can do about the near-term future and long-term future. I think that's one of the so, ways that we can honor them, right? Yes. So I think we take this moment and we catalyze it and we also put some deliverables behind it. And not everyone should run towards uh, activism. Not everyone should run towards diversity. Maybe some people run, you know, 18 months from now with metrics. So who, who are the people who are building? Who are the people that, that are going to check the builders? Who are people that are going to build the data set? So I think that what, what I'm telling my group um, that we're going to do is we're going to come up with a 24 to 36-month strategy, and we're going to have 
metrics in there where we're not only checking ourselves, but we're asking our investors and our partners to check us also. And I think that as minorities, the gentleman spoke a minute ago about normalizing data and bring, bringing truth to data and aggregating data. If, if I could see one thing happen that I think would be the biggest change, it's an index of what people are doing versus what they're saying. Right now we have this press release success rate where a large company can put out a press release, it can have a large number in the headline, and we don't know how much of that money hits the community. Without, that, without the accountability on that, then we're going to continue to have press releases. You're going to continue to have entrepreneurs expecting to get a part of that money. And you're going to continue to have corporations who are our leaders right now in the lack of national leaders um, be able to get away with just putting out a press release, putting out a fifth of that money, and then changing the topic eight months to 12 months from now. Angela, what are, what are you thinking about these days for what comes next? I'm thinking I'm going to stay exactly where I am and push harder and encourage my mm. team to do more. And they're already there. They're just as outraged as I am. White, Black, Hispanic, everyone on my team had this very negative, visceral reaction. Um, leadership, everyone. And so getting hand, uh, capital into the hands of people who look more like us, the Hispanic community, women in general, but mainly women of color um, is what I'm going to keep doing. And again, on a portfolio level, I have a very strong affinity for mom and pop organizations because that's all I saw, saw growing up, the little stores mm -hmm. on the corner and the little businesses. And I'm wondering- What the quarter water? How did they thrive? Right. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, back then, you know, nobody was going to loan you money. You can walk into the bank. Um, the, the person that you got money for was, you know, um, I don't know, probably what we call refer to as a loan shark or someone, you know, that the number man. what was that? The number man. Yes, the number man. That yeah. was your, you know, the you person. You would pull ball tickets. They used to pull <laughs> tickets. Yeah. That's where you got. <laughs> and so, um, entrepreneurs, small businesses, ideas that we're not appreciating because when you pitch your business or you pitch your idea because you're a woman, because you're a woman of color, you're doubted maybe, or you have to work that much harder or you, they pass on the first fund and they say, see you probably in the next fund. You know, that's what we're working towards. And if we don't support that ecosystem, those entrepreneurs, then they're never going to make it, you know, to the next stage if we're talking about venture capital. We're never going to see those businesses and the portfolios um, as it spills over into equities and other asset classes. You won't see an IPO, right? Um, yeah. You won't see a merger and acquisition that happens with people in businesses um, that are led by people like us. So we have to start, you know, from the bottom. We have to start early. We have to start in the early stages of getting capital into those, the hands of those individuals. And then even further back, we're working with a lot of trade organizations to curate the talent, to um, find the talent that we don't see now. And so um, we're introducing them to asset management. Um, we have a strong internship program at my firm 
And I'm a big believer in just taking with them industry conferences. We have an entire program that's greatly structured to teach them about the markets, about what we do as a firm. And so um, those are the things that are important to me. Um, and it's the thing that everybody else should be working on as we um, look to find the talent. Yep, train up the talent and give make sure there's opportunities at the end of that training program. Dimitrik, I'll probably give you the final word. I think we're getting to the end of our conversation here, and I'll give each of you a chance to have uh, sort of your Twitter version of final thoughts, if you could. Well, I'm going to pray for us all because I'm the Southern Baptist boy, and so giving me the last words is like letting the Baptist preacher speak. When, when there's only two minutes, but I will, I will honor our, our time and, and, and conversation. Uh, one thing I would like to offer is that Living Cities, we actually say new majority, hence my title, Capital for the New Majority, because we recognize all the data that points to the fact that within just a matter, like one more generation, let's call it 2045, I think, Brookings Institution said, um, this country will no longer have white people as a majority. And so the question is, what is the new majority? So we don't actually say minority. We say people of color because we want to in, in, we want to embed the power that that represents. We say new majority because we as a country need to understand who we're going to be, which is why we're seeing all this drama. I can tell I can walk through a lot of policy stuff on why we're killing folks, blocking folks and doing a bunch mm -hmm. of things. People mm -hmm. are nervous. And I, that's a different podcast. But just know <laughs> it's in my head. And what I'm telling you is with all of the, I have two $40 million impact investing funds, one that's winding down, one we're still deploying, everything we're doing right now centered on racial equity and closing racial income and wealth gaps. We are funding things for fund managers of color, those who are investing in businesses of color. We're pushing risk model understandings and assessments. That's my job. My money is 18 giant foundations. And if you actually extrapolate like our endowment holdings as this collaboration, it's like yeah. almost $100 billion. So they can afford to lose a little money. So we're really saying that the pathway forward is to understand that there's both the technical and the adaptive that yeah. needs to change in order for the system to change. Technical being how money works, who gets the money, right? What do people think risk really looks like? Right. All of that then ties into all of this adaptive stuff. What is the history education, data management, what are all these like softer things that people need to put into their head in order to understand how to embrace the reality that we need to embrace for this country to continue to be well. And that's more important for people of color than I think we've recognized in that prior social contract. So what I got to say right now is the social contract needs to be amended and we need a whole bunch of waivers. And so for all the impact investors out there, you know exactly what I'm talking about. We forget that the U.S. government basically created equity investments in all of the massive grain belt companies that we take for mm -hmm. granted now. Mm -hmm. Like you forget they gave them that money when Lincoln signed the Homestead Act in 1862. They gave them the equity investment. They taught them how to run those companies. They gave them money when they came back from the war. My dad came back from the war. He couldn't get into the mm -hmm. schools that his white colleagues could because we at the federal level gave the control to the states to make the decision, which meant those who were more racist controlled stuff. Like there's so much stuff people just don't know about history that leaves them frustrated now. And what I know right now is what we're watching is the fact that because black excellence, I am born of a people, the black excellence that I am born of has continued for 400 years in this country's experience to march forward. And we're now at that pressure point where people who've leaned on 
the white card to cover their mediocrity are being challenged because either you're good at what you do and what you know, or you are not. And if the only thing you got to rely on is being white, as Toni Morrison said to Charlie Rose, if the only way you can be tall is because someone else is on their knees, you have a problem that you need to fix. Amen, brother. Okay, well, thank you for taking us to church. If I had my, if I was say he was a southern boy, now. and I had my piano, I would have done a little amen. praise dance. I'll hum on you now. Oh, I will yeah. hum. I will. I will okay, we could do it in three-part harmony. I know Don Ray's got some melodies <laughs> and Um, so I totally, I, I so deeply appreciate uh, each of you sharing such honesty and um, just vulnerability. I think I heard in some ways, and and I think we are all charged individually in our work to take things forward. And um, I, my my favorite phrase is to get caught trying. And as you think about where from here in your What I want to leave is um, the fact that we know that the system is nested and complicated, but I think we just unraveled a lot of things because um, thank God for iPhones and the video. So now America sees and hopefully they're woke um, and, and we are coming and we're coming strong. We're coming hard. We're coming fast. We need a lot of policies and I'm going to work in every way I can to um, unravel what I call economic red line. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Donnery. Um, what I want to, I want to use my time to communicate with the listeners of Impact Alpha that we all are of like minds. So if you've made it into this 30-minute podcast and you're still with us, then you've already decided that the world can be better. So how do you use your power to do something for others. Entrepreneurs oftentimes ask me a path to success. So I tell them to spend a part of their day working on their own things, and then another part of their day working on other people's things. And those other projects may open up doors that they didn't see coming or create new relationships or create new ways to look at things. So what I will say to the like-minded individuals who have made it this far into this podcast is that you have immeasurable power. You have privilege that we won't discuss right now, but let's use that privilege for benefit. If you decide right now that you're going to help somebody, return an email, provide for, pay the conference entry fee, ask a person what can you do for them? What can you do? Small, big, large, tall, do something for somebody, make it sizable, and do it again and do it again. And I guarantee you opportunities will come not only for the person that you blessed, but opportunities will come for you also because the problem is we have a flourishing economy with only part of the economy, only part of the civilization in the economy. What happens when we add the other part to the economy? It's a multiplier effect. It's a multiplier effect. Thank you for the time. Dimitrik, in your 40, 40 characters or less. I will do my best. I was about to sing a hymn. Mm. Um, but, you know, we do an A. And down south, we say we're going to sing an A and a B because, you know, you get to do your theme song at the choral and then blah, blah. And speaking of the choral, uh, Dunray, you mentioned something earlier about people doing the, the part that's their part. And, and what I'm reminded of, is, at least as I think of it, is that this motion 
that we're in, this notion of social change, is sort of like a choral performance. It's like a choir. It's like sitting in the black church. Everybody can't sing, but a lot of people know how to clap. They know how to pat their foot. Some of them know how to nod their head and hum along. Some will shout and wave their hands. Some will tell others they need to come listen. Some of us will sing solos in the choir. Some of us will play the piano, beat the drums, strum the guitar. We'll sing in harmony. We'll do all these different things, duets, all these different things. And what I want to encourage people in the world who believe the way that we believe that the world can be better, I want them to remember that you can do your part. Even if all you do is sit in the audience and pat your foot, you're helping to keep the rhythm. The other simile that I heard is that social change is like a tree. And so the idea being that each of us is like a leaf. And as one single leaf, you may think you actually don't matter. Like, what can I do as a leaf? I can't change this tree. But the reality is you have to live in hope. And we know what hope is. We've heard Dr. King preach on it in the past. And I've heard Peter Gomes, when he was alive, talk about it at Harvard. Hope is what allows us to continue to produce ripe fruit, even in the dry season. For though we may not see a cloud in the sky, we know the rain will come again to replenish the earth. So as that leaf, what you need to remember is that you should act in hope, knowing, believing, hoping that other leaves are doing the same thing you are doing because that tree needs all these leaves to live. And so each branch is like these countries or like these different veins, investments, other things, social you know, systems, and that trunk, those roots are all of the stuff we're trying to get to change. And so as the leaf that you are, act in your commitment, your passion, in the hope that others are doing the same because if enough leaves are jumping, that tree has got to change. So in closing, I say to the listeners, welcome to the work. And I will just quote President Obama yesterday saying, I'm not asking you to believe in me. I'm paraphrasing a little bit in order to drive change, but in you. So I think that charge that you just mentioned, Dimitrik, is exactly the same ethos. And I thank all of you for being with us today. And um, thanks. Thank you for having us, Impact Alpha. Thank you. Thank you, Monique, for hosting. Podcast today. I appreciate it. Yes. That's it for this week's Impact Briefing. You can read more about all these stories at impactalpha.com. Only subscribers get full access to Impact Alpha content, including deal flow, job postings, and a Slack channel. Podcast listeners get half off the subscription price. Just use the code briefing50 at impactalpha.com slash subscribe. Thank you for listening. And thanks to Angela, Don Ray, Dimitrik, and our producer, Isaac Silk, who also wrote the theme song. I'm Monique Aiken. In my day job, I'm vice president for programs at Mission Investors Exchange. Please make sure to check back next week for the latest impact investing news. 